Amen, amen. Amen. Good morning. God bless you. Miami and True Vine Christian Church uh, send our greetings to you this morning. Just know that you have a church in Miami that's praying for us this morning. All right? It's all good. Um, Fifteen years ago, I left the comfort and convenience of uh, my hometown in San Diego, California. Anybody know San Diego, California? Um, yes, I think if you go there, you might not ever come back. It's a beautiful city. Um, and uh, my hometown where I grew up and did my early years of ministry and um, in the last 15 years uh, has been amazing 15 years in Miami. Um, I've seen God do amazing things that I, I've never seen in my previous 45. And uh, so it's been great. But I'll, I'll be honest, it, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. Uh, I want to encourage you this morning as a, as a young church, well, relatively young church yourself. Um, you know, I thought uh, I had this kind of picture in my mind that I would go to Miami and it just, you know, like your dream of planning churches that it's going to, uh, you know, erupt into some amazing movement and change the city. And, and it was more about changing me. Say amen. More about sometimes you go to places and you think about changing the world and, and God says, nah, I'm here to change you. And so uh, um, I learned quickly uh, that uh, church planting is more about uh, the first two years is survival. The first two years. And then it takes about five to seven years to kind of get stable. And then about that time, you can think about being strategic and uh, start thinking about how God can uh, leverage your life to do amazing things. But uh, I, I think of it like the, the waters of Gideon. You know, you guys know the story of Gideon and that God kind of has to kind of filter out the people who are um, there for uh, selfish or self-serving reasons and, and people who are there for for God's plan and God's will, and God has given us those people, and God is doing an amazing things. And so I think you guys are right on schedule. You guys are on the cusp of that strategic phase, I hear, right? You guys are there, ready, and it's been great. Don't let uh, Kevin's unassuming, very quiet, very California style fool you. He is in love with Jesus. He is in love with Jesus. And so uh, as much as uh, you might think about me, um, you know, making all these crazy uh, moves from California to Miami and doing the things that we do. Uh, what resonates in my friendship with Kevin is the fact that he has a kindred heart, kindred spirit of loving Jesus as much as I want to love him. And so you guys have a great pastor here to shepherd you into the next season of life. Um, my time in Miami has been a testimony of God's provision and his promise and his power. And uh, it's been a much-needed period of transformation in me, humbling and um, uh, reshaping of my life. But I want to uh, testify this morning that, that my time in Miami has been a testimony of friendship. And so I just want to celebrate, before we get into Genesis 22, uh, that God uses friendships to multiply his kingdom into the world. And, and so Kevin and I were friends. We are the odd couple of friends. Um, uh, and, and God brought us together. And, but the last uh, 15 years of being at, at True Vine Christian Church, uh, in many ways, probably could not have gone as well as it has uh, without Kevin's friendship. And just encouragement for all of you, make sure you, you surround yourself with some godly men and women as friends to walk you through life because you never know. You never know when those people want to come up and step into the plate and, and walk you through some tough times and walk you through some seasons or be there to help you and encourage you and support you. 
And so today, as we talk about True Vine Christian Church and talk about Miami, Florida, and literally the hundreds, if not thousands, of students and people who have been transformed by the gospel, uh, it is because of friendship. And I, so I want to celebrate your pastor today, celebrate your church today. You guys have a great man of God uh, at the helm of your church. His name is Jesus, but he's using Kevin, too. And uh, that, that's the message. Um, thank you on behalf of 100 kids uh, in Miami who every day hear the gospel daily. Um, earlier this year, I'm here to say thank you on behalf of Kids Excel, my church. What, uh, one of the things that you may not know what Kids Excel is, if you're hearing this, um, one of the amazing miracles, it's a long story, but, but God allowed us to start an after-school tutoring program for about 100 kids a day in our community. 80% of the students, uh, families that live in our neighborhood speak Spanish at home as their primary language. And so what happens, a lot of the kids come home and they can't get help with their homework. Uh, because it's in English, and so the parents speak Spanish. And so um, God has allowed us to be in this community, and we start this after-school tutoring program. We help the kids with their homework. The goal is to get them done with their homework before they go home at 6, so they can come home and just have family time. That's, that's our heart. So it's a double blessing. We help them do their homework, but then we send them home, uh, you know, so they can have some quality family time. That's kind of our heart. Um, earlier this year, uh, you as a church gave a very generous gift to us, uh, and it could not have been more timely in December of last year, we got a bill for about $3,000, and we don't, from Miami-Dade County. And without announcing it to us, they said, um, we're going to start charging you $50 an hour to use the fields that we've been using for free for the last 14. And so we use the fields about 10 hours a week during the week during the school year and about 20 hours a week during the summer. So that adds up. So we had not, we are a uh, uh, a program that tries to make as little money as possible to make it as affordable for the students and the families. And so we got hit with this bill going, oh my goodness, how, how are we going to manage this? And about that time, uh, Kevin said, uh, you know, we, we, our heart, our church um, has decided to um, raise some money for you, and it could not have come at a more timely season. And so thank you. God bless you. Jehovah Jireh, God is good. He knows all our needs even before we ask. Amen. And, uh, and he takes care of us. And so here we were kind of struggling, trying to figure out, oh, how are we going to manage this season? Uh, we are a month-to-month um, organization. We, we're, our goal is not to profit financially. Uh, we're trying to make it as affordable for the kids. And we've had a, a positive impact in the community because we're so affordable. It's made all the other after-school programs lower their prices <laughs> to stay competitive with us. So it's all good. Um, but uh, you guys helped us through this past year get through a season uh, we're still trying to navigate, uh, you know, try to, the, all these budgeting and financial issues. But what I found over 14 years is that God, God always provides whatever he is, he is behind. And he always takes care. So that's true for you, and that's true for us today. Um, today we're going to look at Genesis chapter uh, 22, speaking of Jehovah Jireh. And so if you would all turn to Genesis chapter 22. And uh, we're going to look at God's word. Uh, let's pray together, okay? Let's pray. In Jesus' name, we pray that power would just uh, move in this room this morning. We pray, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, awaken people in this room to the reality of your power and your love and your resurrection, and that would transform and change today lives this morning. We claim the name and the blood of Jesus over this place. Thank you that this morning we don't pray for victory. We already acknowledge it's already been given to us in Jesus' name at the cross. Thank you that the truth has set us free. 
Thank you that we are liberated right this moment to, to live life and to live it full. And all we have to do is overcome our doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, and simply trust in you, God, and trust in your promises. And so in Jesus' name, we pray for you, uh, God, to work in your Holy Spirit to, uh, to just do what you promise you're going to do, Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us, um, remind us of things, but most of all, to do that transforming work that we can't do on our own. And we pray that there would be a deep spiritual hunger and thirst for you, Lord God, uh, that would go beyond uh, the, the, these moments of this message, but go into the daily lives of Omaha, Nebraska today, Lord God. We just claim this all. Pray you do an amazing thing. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So in Miami, we are very verbal in our church. So feel free to say, amen. All right. Cool. So everybody say, hey. hey. Very good. All right. Very good. All right. You guys are all right. Very good. All right. You're dispelling all the, these, uh, these, uh, these uh, preconceived notions of, you know, people from Nebraska. So you guys are loud. Very good. I bet, bet yesterday, like when you guys watched Nebraska football, you guys talked to your TV, right? <laughs> right? Amen. They, so, okay, so you guys can talk here at your church, all right? Talk to me, all right? A recurring theme throughout all of Scripture is this timeless message. A timeless message. You might have heard it. He who is faithful and little, anybody know, will be given much. Anybody heard that? He who is faithful and little will be given much. Today I want to just uh, highlight this, that the little tests in life, our preparation for the bigger test ahead. The little tests in life, our preparation for the bigger tests that are ahead. Have you ever heard this saying, everything happens for a purpose? Have you heard that? Well, in Jesus' name, in Christ, it's all true. Everything has a purpose, and the purpose is, is this, preparation. Whatever you're going through, God is preparing you for something ahead. Everything that you've gone through in your life to this moment is preparation for something that God is preparing for you that's ahead. Everything in your church for the last nine years, every single little detail that's happened in the last nine years is preparing you for some glorious moment that's ahead. God is in the process of putting you through tests of life that are preparation for each of us to be proven in the bigger tests, those defining moments and those critical decisions that are ahead in life. And for Abraham in Genesis 22, everything in his life, if you know this story, everything in his life climaxes with this last test of his life that we're going to study today. And the reality is it's an unimaginable test. For all of us, it would be completely hard to fathom going through this test. But amazingly, we call Abraham a man of faith because amazingly he passes this test 100%. Why? Because of his faithfulness in the little test prepared him for this moment. He was faithful in the little, and when the, this big test came, he was ready, his faith was ready. And so consider the magnitude of Abraham's faith, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. This is what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Say tested. Say it louder. Tested. Very good. Thank you. God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. On so many levels, 
On so many levels, God's instruction to Abraham makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it contradicted God's morality because God uh, opposed, even up to this point, the taking of human life. It violated God's promise because, if you know the story, God promised and said, I'm going to make a covenant both to you and your son Isaac, a promise. It conflicted with God's character because it's this idea, how could a loving God ask a father to do such a thing? And it certainly compromised God's relationships. I mean, how could, how could Abraham truly trust God after doing this? And let's not forget about Sarah. Couldn't you imagine Abraham going home to his wife and say, by the way, Isaac is not with me because I had to take his life. On so many levels, God's will made absolutely no sense. But here's a lesson, here's a lesson I hope you can take home with you. If you have to wait until everything makes sense to have faith in God, then you won't have faith in God. If you have to have everything make sense in order for you to just trust in God, you're probably not going to trust in God. Everybody say amen. amen. It's true. Because faith is not about waiting for some condition to be satisfied or for some distraction to end before you choose to obey God. Faith chooses obedience, and it chooses it so badly that, that you seek it even if the conditions are not favorable, even if the conditions are unexplainable. Why? Because faith is not secured by our conditions. Faith is not secured by our conditions. Faith is secured by the character, character and consistency of God. And this was the faith of Abraham. This is the saving faith that brings all of us to Christ. And it was this faith that produced this response we're going to read in verse 3. Check this out. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, everybody say third day. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in a distance. Abraham looked up and saw the place. But what the New Testament teaches us is that he saw much more than just a place. Without a doubt, Abraham saw Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said so. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you could turn to John chapter 8, briefly, verse 56. This is what it says. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Verse 56 of John 8. He saw it and was glad. So he saw much more than a place, much more than a place. They replied, you're not yet 50 years old, Jesus. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. I mean, wow, Abraham saw Jesus, and Jesus explains the reason why Abraham saw Jesus is because Jesus saw Abraham. <laughs> he was there. Leading up to the story, if you know the story, Jesus appears, the Son of God appears to Abraham personally and physically. Even in this passage, Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord who appears to him here is believed to be the Son of God, Jesus, one more time. 
So not only was the gospel preached to Abraham, as Galatians says, Jesus, the central message of the gospel, appeared. The gospel appeared to Abraham. And verse 4 talks about all of this happening on the third day. Everybody say third day. What else happened on the third day? The resurrection. Yes, amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see that this is just the beginning of how the story is a foreshadowing of the gospel, Jesus' plan and purpose, and it is a foretelling of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. We are definitely coming back to this topic of the resurrection before we're done today. But look at what happens next. Verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Everybody say worship. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Oh, you can read so much, so many articles, so many books on what is worship, and everyone has their ideas of worship. I'm assuming all of you came here in some capacity so that you can worship, and the question I want to ask you this morning is what did you expect to happen when you came? What did you expect to happen when you came, I'm sure many of you came, I'm coming to hear God's word. I'm coming to hear some crazy Filipino give you a little message from Miami, Florida. That's what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking about, I've come here to, uh, to, to worship in song, and I love the worship this morning. It was awesome. How about prayer? I've come to pray. I've come to, to hang out with, uh, with my brothers and sisters out in the foyer and uh, hang out there and have some coffee and hot cocoa and my tea. Right here. Thank you very much, Jesus. I got to have a little sip. My, my throat's not too great this morning, but it's okay. And here's the truth. All of these things are not just good things. These are great things. Everything you're experiencing this morning, coming in, going out, vital to our relationship with God. But according to Abraham, I want to suggest to you that none of these things is worship. For many, worship means I'm here to receive. I'm here to experience. I'm here to be inspired. I'm here to be encouraged. I'm here to be loved. I'm here to feel good. I'm here to learn more. For Abraham, it was about one thing. I'm here to sacrifice. I'm going to go to worship, and my worship is this. I'm going to sacrifice. So here's another point today for you to think about. If you came to worship God today, then you've come to sacrifice something for him today. If you've come to worship God today, if you say, I'm coming here, I got up out of my bed, had a quick breakfast, I'm coming here, and I'm ready to worship God, then, then according to Abraham, you've come here to sacrifice something for him today. And so my question to you is, what, did, what sacrifice did you bring? What did you come here to give to God? Your attitude, your money, your time, your will. Because here's the, here's the challenge for you. If you leave here without having sacrificed to God, then you've left here without having worshipped God. Let me just challenge you with that this morning. And God wants to reset your approach to worship. I hope that moving forward, wherever you go to say, I'm going to worship, that you reset your thinking about what you expect. 
And that you come in and go, I'm coming here to consider aspects of my life that have not been surrendered to God, and today I'm coming here to surrender that to God. Let that be your reset of what worship is. God wants to reset you today through Abraham's example of faith. And so if you want to worship God today, don't leave here without sacrificing something for him. Remember this familiar verse, I think uh, many of you may know, Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living what? Anybody know? Sacrifice. sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The New International Version said, this is your true and proper worship. Worship, New American Standard said, this is your reasonable service of worship. It's reasonable. Why wouldn't you? If you come here to worship God, consider this. Consider giving your life to Him today. But I, I don't want you to miss out on why we can freely sacrifice even our most precious and prized possessions for God. Abraham said that we will worship and then we will what? What did he say? We will worship and then we will what? We will come back. We will come back. Let me just give you this picture. Abraham fully expected to sacrifice his son. He fully expected to plunge the knife through his neck like he would have any sacrifice and sacrifice him to God as if he would have sacrificed any animal that he would have sacrificed. There's nothing here to make us believe that he was going to do anything less. Yet he anticipates that both he and his son, he says, we, we will come back. He anticipates that both he and his son Isaac would come back. How could he promise this? How could he declare this unless he believed in God's power to raise Isaac back from the dead? Look at Hebrews 11. If you don't believe me, listen, listen to the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, everybody say tested again. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, here we go. Highlight this with your little marker in your Bible or your phone. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham reasoned that even God could raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is why we can make bold sacrifices for God. Because we believe in God's power to resurrect whatever we put to death as our sacrifice of worship. Do you believe it today? Do you believe it today? Abraham was fully convinced that God was going to raise his son back to life. That's why there's no hesitation. He had no doubt. And as a result, he, he, did, not, he did not give in. He did not do what we probably were thinking. There's no way I could consider doing that because it was rooted in this belief that God is a God who resurrects dead things back to life. He believed that God was going to give his son back. And here's the message today. When God resurrects something back 
to life from the dead, he always resurrects it better. Always better. Of course, when you, when you die to self, what happens? You're made alive to God. You're better. When you die to the flesh, what happens? You live in the power of the Spirit. You're better. When you die to the things of the world, what happens? You inherit life. You inherit the earth. Better. When Jesus rose from the dead, was he better? Absolutely. This is the message. This is the message today. So why do we hesitate when we consider sacrificing our lives for God? Why? It is rooted in whether or not we believe that God can resurrect whatever we offer to him as our sacrifice. It's rooted in whether or not we trust him that he's going to raise it back to life better. He will resurrect it better. He will resurrect a dead mess, a dead marriage better if you sacrifice it to him, God. He will resurrect a dead career if you sacrifice that to God. He will resurrect it better. He will resurrect a church that is dead, and he will say, God, we give us as a church our lives to you. We sacrifice our lives to you. And guess what? He's going to resurrect it better. This is our God. He, he's a God of resurrection, and his business is to raise dead things back to life, and I'm living proof. And many of you are as well. Believe in God's power to resurrect your sacrifices to something so much better. Because then and only then will you become that living sacrifice that he has called you to be. Abraham believed God's character. Abraham believed God's promise. And most of all, Abraham believed God's power to resurrect Isaac back to life. And so without hesitation, Abraham obeys. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he, carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Let me just... Uh, highlight for you that Abraham was not the only person who needed faith on this day. Who else needed faith? Isaac, oh. And I want to tell you, Isaac was not this little baby. Isaac was probably a teenager at this point. So all you, all you teenagers, I don't see a whole lot of teenagers. There's some young, yeah, there we go. You guys rock, all right? Awesome here. Do not underestimate God using your life. God can use your life. Here was a young teenager at this time, and there's no sign of a struggle. I couldn't even get my teenage kids to take out the trash without a struggle. And here is Isaac, Isaac bound without a struggle, laying on an altar without a struggle. Even Isaac trusted God, even though none of this made any sense at the moment. And so if Abraham is a depiction of God the Father, then Isaac is a picture of God the Son. 
Isaac's birth fulfilled a promise. So did Jesus' birth. Isaac was given a name before he was conceived. So was Jesus. Isaac was born from a miraculous birth. So was Jesus. Isaac was sent to die a sacrificial death. And guess what? So was Jesus. Isaac was saved from death to live again. And yes, so was Jesus. Only two times in Scripture did God call for human sacrifice. Only two times in all of Scripture did God call for a human to be sacrificed. One was Isaac and the other was Jesus. The difference between Isaac and Jesus is that Jesus is the only one who would actually go through with it. Praise God. Amen. And so we look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. What a great response when God calls your name. Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, your most prized and precious possession. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Everybody say, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And on this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord will provide. Oh, if we could just have that response in every crisis and every condition of our life, just whatever struggle you're going through, instead of complaining and whining, just say, no, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. God's provision of salvation and redemption is a picture of God's love and resurrection. There's this, there's this idea that if you don't understand the, the concepts of the story and the truth of the story, the backstory, from the outside looking in, it portray, you can look and see maybe Abraham was just being an abusive father or maybe God is an abusive God. But what changes the narrative is two very important truths in God's story of redemption. Two very important truths I want to send you home with. The power of the resurrection and the power of love. The power of the resurrection and the power of love. These two qualities change the story from a potential story about abuse to a story of selflessness, courage, determination, perseverance, and most of all, love. Love and resurrection will change you from being hesitant to sacrifice, to say, yes, I want to sacrifice. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life to others. Love and resurrection changes it for all of us today. Let me illustrate this with the, to you with my friend Kevin today. Uh, many of you, most of you probably don't know that uh, seven years ago, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and seven years ago, she, she was given, we were given uh, this news that she probably lived five years. And so praise God, we're at seven, she's doing well, uh, amen, glory be to Jesus, and he is so good, and we're grateful for the additional days that God has given her more uh, than some man's uh, earthly prediction about her life. Isn't it great that God numbers our days and man doesn't, amen, and that's what it's all about. But here's the truth, with every year there is this more acute awareness 
that her homecoming to Jesus is drawing closer and closer. It's just our nature. It's our na- you know, so uh, this past week she had some labs, and then uh, they call on Friday saying, you have to, uh, we need, want you to come back, but we have some concerns about your labs. And so all those news, it's like, oh my goodness, is this the moment we're going to receive the, the news? And so we live with that cloud over us. But I'm just going to create a scenario. What if, what if, the, what if our uh, oncologist came up to us and called us and said, hey, hey, Rolo, um, I think we found a cure for Sarah's cancer. I want to tell you that I think the cure is found in your good friend, Pastor Kevin. And uh, I'm sure if, uh, if this was true, I'm sure Kevin would say, hey, whatever I can do, whatever I can do to help uh, cure Sarah's cancer, man, I'm all in. But what if the doctor tells us that there's one problem? Kevin would have to die in order to produce that cure. In fact, the death that he would have to die would be a bloody death. It would be a lonely death. It would be a brutally painful death that would probably last an entire day. In fact, he would have to suffer in in the worst possible human agony for hours. It would be a humiliating death. And here's the truth. He would have to stay dead for at least three days. But in his death, there would be a cure for Sarah's cancer. Now, here's the truth. Kevin would have some serious praying to do right at that moment. Amen? <laughs> He'd have some serious thinking to do. All of us would. But then what if the doctor says this? I have good news, though. The good news is this. After three days, I'll be able to bring Kevin back to life. And I'm going to bring him back better than before. Now, at this point, how many of you think that Kevin would do this? I do. Thank you, Michaela. She's raising her head. I do. I do. I think Kevin, I truly believe that out of love, Kevin would do it. He would do it for my wife. And yes, there would be excruciating pain, but I think he would say, I'll suck it up for three days, and I'd do it. And here's what else. If he consented, I want to believe, and I believe that Janet would say, yeah, if he wants to do it, I'll consent too. I get kind of weepy talking about these kind of things. So I know it would destroy her to see him suffer. But out of love for my wife, I'm sure she would allow and consent for him to do it. But it's not just about love. It's about the power of resurrection. The confidence that he would be raised back to life better than before would settle it for him and for Janet. Here's here's how the Christian life works. Love compels us. We sang a, a song earlier. Love compels us. Love makes us think about doing the unimaginable. Love makes us think about sacrificing. But you know what takes us over the edge? Resurrection. The belief that God's going to resurrect my dead life back to life better. That's what decides it forever. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 3, 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection because I love him, but man, my love, there's a lot of questions, but what answers all those questions is resurrection. Resurrection. I want you to go home. God wants you to go home and live your life for the rest of your life with this message. Love and resurrection changes everything for you today. Love and resurrection changes everything for you today. It changes the narrative of your story, of this story, being a story about some abusive father to a story of love, sacrifice, commitment, courage, and power. Belief in the resurrection changes everything. The restorative and redemptive power of God to bring whatever sacrifices we bring to God back to life better than ever. This changes everything for you and for me. This is the story of Abraham. This is the story of Christ. This is the story of Finding Life Church. This is the story of True Vine Christian Church. This is the story of all of us who choose to live a sacrificial life for God. God will restore whatever you sacrifice to him back to you better than ever because of the power of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Oh, would you believe it? Because it changes everything today. But it requires the faith of Abraham. Oh, it requires faith. Believing God. Believing his promises with your, with your most prized and precious possessions. Abraham, Hebrews tells us, believed in the power of the resurrection. So Abraham believed God when he was commanded to offer up his only son to die. God knew his power to bring resurrection. And so he approached his son Jesus and asked him, son, would you die for the sins of the world? And his son said, why wouldn't I, father? Of course I would. The father says, but you know, Jesus, it's going to require you to, to die. The, the death of a criminal, a painful death, an excruciating death. But his son says, of course, I, I love the world. I want the world to be saved. I want them to know you, Father. So why wouldn't I? But most of all, Jesus could say, because I know the power of the resurrection. So why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? So Father, if you consent, then I consent. And God says, I consent. And he freely had offered up his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, knowing, knowing that he would raise him up back to life better than ever. And as promised, Jesus rose from the dead better than ever. Amen. And as promised, we now have access to God and eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. By faith in God, his word, and the work of, of his son, Jesus on the cross. It was love and resurrection that made Abraham offer up his son. It was love and resurrection that made God offer up his son. And it is love and resurrection 
that will compel you and I to offer up our lives sacrificially for God today. Oh, are you willing? Oh, are you open to that? The question is this, what is your Isaac? What is your Isaac that God is testing you with? What is your Isaac that proves the authenticity of your faith? Where if you walk through that threshold of that sacrifice, God says, now I know. Now I know that you fear the Lord. What is that prize and possession that you're holding back from God? Afraid to sacrifice it to God. Hesitant to use it for God. Reluctant to give it to God. Today the challenge is this. Do you believe God's power to resurrect it back to life better than ever if you would simply offer it to him as a sacrifice of worship today? Whatever it is. Do you know God's love so deeply that you can't help but reciprocate it back to him in unquestioned obedience? Because if you come to worship God, then you've come to make a sacrifice for him. If you walked out the portals of your door saying, I've come, I'm, I'm so excited about worshiping God, then today you're thinking about sacrificing your life for him. And just like Isaac and Abraham, don't hesitate. Don't pause because you believe in the power of the resurrection. My agenda here is to encourage you and challenge you as a church uh, in many ways parallel to mine on a journey. I was telling Kevin, I, I see all the work that goes into putting this, this morning service together for the glory of God. And I told them, I said, boy, you have some people who are not in it for themselves here. They're here vested for some greater purpose, some greater glory. So praise God for all of you here who've been here for years, been here through transitions. But one transition never happens, God. Same yesterday, today, forever. It's all good. And so I've come here to encourage you to say, believe in the power of the resurrection. Believe in the preparation that you are poised and positioned for something great that's ahead. I have another agenda here, and I've come to say thank you on behalf of 100 kids who are being transformed by the gospel. Thank you for giving. But uh, my other thing I come here to do is I've come here to ask you for more. But this time not on behalf of Kids Excel but on behalf of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Give him more than just a portion of your income, a portion of your schedule, a portion of your talent. Many of you are in missional communities, and you go from here to a place where you have an affinity group or a geographical group that you're committed to. And, and as you do, just consider giving him more than what you've given him today. If you ask my church, I always have this thing. You know, there are 168 hours in a week, right? 168 hours in a week. You could give 1% of that to going to church like you are today. People are like, oh, you're really religious. If, if you give 2% of that three hours of your week, of 168 hours, they'll be like, man, you're really serious about your faith, right? If you give 3% of that 168 hours, they'll, they'll call you Jesus freak, fanatic. 
3% of your time. And how dare anybody say, man, I'm too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to, man, when you think about worship and your exercise of worship of your time is being here today. But there's so much more to give. Say amen. amen. So much more to give. So much more to give. So I've come here to ask you to give more. But not, not for Kids Excel. Not for True Vine Christian Church. I've come here to challenge you to give him your most prized and precious possessions and worship. And to do this, we're going to sing a song here just a little bit. You guys worship with your tithes and offerings on the way out, right? But the greatest act of worship you could do today, present yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service of worship. Worship him, love him, and trust him to resurrect it all even better and more glorious than ever before. Amen.